Welcome in to another episode of Behind the Plate, a podcast presented by Baseball America. I'm your host, Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today featuring a very special guest. We're pleased to be joined by Richard Jimenez, who was the signing scout for Reds phenom Ellie De La Cruz. Richard was the longtime Reds Dominican scouting coordinator, where he and his staff established a really strong reputation and track record for uncovering hidden gems. He signed Jose Siri, Aristides Aquino, Darmretta, among many others, all for really low bonuses. All those guys got to the major leagues and became good players. And of course, the latest in that line was Ellie De La Cruz, who signed with the Reds for just $65,000 was not a top international prospect as an amateur by any measure and has since blossomed into the number one prospect in baseball and now one of the most electrifying players in the major leagues. Richard was kind enough to join us today to discuss all of his experiences in the game. Uh, he was a middle infielder signed by the Blue Jays out of the Dominican Republic when he was a teenager, went on to play five seasons in the minors, made his way into scouting first for the Yankees before moving over to the Reds and becoming their Dominican scouting coordinator. And since 2021, he's worked for the Dodgers as their Latin America cross-checker. And of course, we're going to talk a lot about his experience signing and scouting LA De La Cruz, including how De La Cruz was a late bloomer, uh, how he signed him off of just a one-day look, and how De La Cruz has exceeded even his wildest expectations. We're pleased to be joined now by Richard Jimenez from his home in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. Richard, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks, God, and, and thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you've had a long, illustrious career as a scout, working for a couple different organizations, and of course, most notably, signing Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, but before you were a scout, you had a playing career yourself, and we talked so much to scouts about how their careers as players or coaches really shaped their scouting eye. And obviously your playing career had an influence on you and, and the scout you've become. I want to go back to when you were a teenager signing to play professional baseball. You signed with the Blue Jays, made your professional debut in the Dominican Summer League in 1998. What kind of player were you like, I would say, as a teenager? And how would you scout what kind of player you were growing up? <laughs> well, that's a good question, Kyle. So back in 97, when they signed me, you know, I was a game player. I wasn't ready for practice and, and all that. So at the age of 17, I have to face a really big challenge, big challenge for a kid. You know, so during the preseason with the Blue Jays, you know, I wasn't ready. So, you know, I struggle. So the coaches, you know, they, I get it. You know, I get it. I wasn't ready. So at night, they put the schedule. So for the next day, thing we gotta do. So I noticed that they have early work for all every middle infielders, but my name wasn't there. So, but I said, okay, field one, 7:30, early work. So I get there at 7 a.m., put my cleats on, my gloves, sit there, just 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 to hustle. So the coach look at me once, keep doing his thing, look at me twice, keep doing his thing, and they say, you know what, get in there. So to make a long story short. I was doing early work and extra work every single day without invitation. So I learned how to be perseverance, you know. So season start, you know, I didn't play for the next three, first three games. All of a sudden, the center field broke a finger. He asked me, hey, can, play, can you play center field? I said, absolutely. <laughs> so three for four, three double, three stolen bases. Boom. So I played every day after that. So it was a great experience playing baseball. I learned a lot. I then I went to the state. I learned a little bit of English. You know, I, I met a lot of good people. So it's it's been a blast. 
I have to ask, had you actually played center field or did you lie to the coach just to get on the field? I mean, like, I never played center field in my life, but I want to play. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was an opportunity. So, you know what? Yeah, I'm ready. I used to run really fast. So, you know, at the end, you know, I play more outfielder than infielder in my career. Yeah, I, like you said, you have to take the opportunities where they come, and even when they uh, when they're surprising or something you're, you're not expecting, for sure. I actually want to go back to your childhood. What was your experience like growing up playing in, in the Dominican? Because obviously, we hear a lot of stories about people growing up and poverty and dire circumstances, and using baseball as a way to make life better for them and their families. What what was life like growing up for you in the Dominican Republic, and what did baseball mean to you? Oh, that's a good question, man. Like, I was fortunate that my family, you know, was my dad is accountant and my mom. So, you know, we have like established family. So I saw my dad playing softball. So I was fan number one. I mean, like, I, I cried. He, he didn't take me to the field. So I played Little League all my, since I was five until 14. So, you know, I went to Mexico to play, representing the country in, in, in 2000. I mean, in 1994. So, you know, like, it was fun. And I want to play baseball. I want to play baseball. I have to, I was in private school, so I have to quit private high school, went to public school to practice in the morning. So I, I sacrificed myself to to make it, yeah, at least to sign, and you know. But it was a sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. How was the process of the Blue Jays signing you? How did they discover you? And ultimately, what led you to sign with them? Well, there is scout Ilario Soriano. He saw me playing, so he took me to the complex for, for a week. I hit well for a week, and, you know, called my dad, say, hey, I want to sign your son. And my dad was a little bit frustrated because when he was a, a young kid, he, he played baseball, somebody offered money, and his brother said no, so he was ready to say yes for whatever offer. Wow. So we, we signed immediately. And as you mentioned, you went out to the DSL and, and found a way to get on the field, ended up playing some center field. Uh, you eventually made your way over to the United States. I uh, played for Queens in the old New York Penn League, worked your way through Charleston, West Virginia, Auburn, Dunedin, uh, you know, kind of all up and down, you know, the Class A levels. You mentioned when you first came over, you know, one of the first things was you started to pick up a little bit of English and learning the language. How difficult of a transition was it for you? You're still, you know, a 17, 18-year-old kid moving to a whole new country, whole new culture, whole new language. How difficult was that transition for you? Hmm, to be honest, it wasn't that hard because, like I told you, I, I was privileged to have, like, private education. And, you know, I also took English in high school. So, you know, I was just okay. So, and, but, you know, being away from home, you know, it, it was it was tough. It was tough. I, I met good people, man. I I... I get along with everybody, make good friends. So it was fun. It was fun. Absolutely. You, you spent parts of three seasons of the DSL, 98, 99, uh, part of 2000 before you made your way over to Queens. What was it like playing in, in the DSL for, for so many years? I know a lot of people talk about they get frustrated. They're, oh, I'm here again. I'm here again. How did you kind of persevere through that? And what, what was that experience like for you before you finally got the chance to move stateside? Like I told you, I have to earn my my everyday job, and I did after my first year. Second year, they moved me back to the infield. I played second base, but I was playing every day. So you know, I stole a couple bases. I don't know how many, like thirty something. So you know, I you know, I was hustling, and 
But, you know, I think I was the younger, the youngest guy in the team because by then you never know. But, you know, it was a great experience, like learning how to adjust at the play, you know, listen to the coaches, following the process. It was, it was, it was fun, but it was a tough job. What was it like for you when you finally got told, hey, we're moving you over stateside? Dude, it's okay. Step one. I signed step two, going to the state. So I was excited, you know, started working out a little bit and I mean, lifting weights, get to the state, see all these fields. Oh my goodness. That was amazing, man. Like the players, uh, you know, it was a big shot at the beginning, but you know, you, you got to fight, you got to compete. And like I told you, man, I was lucky that at early age, I have to face that, that challenge to be per- perseverance and, you know, and then, Everything from there to say, you know what? Let's do it. Let's fight. Let's keep moving on. But it was a real competition. You move over to Queens in 2000, and right away, you had some really good players on that team. Alex Rios, who eventually uh, was an all-star outfielder for the Blue Jays. Brandon Lyon, who had a long big league career. Those two guys were on that team with you in Queens. What was it like for you moving over and seeing like, oh, all right, we, we, this is what the big dogs look like? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Alex Rios and I, we played together like two or three years. So we became good friends, you know, because I I was so many times in the bench, I became like his personal hitting coach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was always paying attention, you know, like, oh, say, man, you open your hips soon. Like, your swing's under the ball. So, you know, it, you know, it was fun. I, I still in touch with Alex, you know, he's, he's doing great, so. It was it was a great experience for me being there, play in the stakes. You know the man. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned you you were on the bench a lot, and, and throughout your career, it was a lot of part time playing. You know, sixty games here, fifty games here, not ever really breaking through to that like full time starter. Was that frustrating for you, or what? How did you kind of handle that as as a young kid who's trying to pursue your dream? Well. That's a good question, man. Like you, as a player, you always think like you deserve to play every day. Sure. Then when you grow up, you say, man, you know what? I wasn't ready doing this and that. But at the time, you know, I didn't pay attention to that. I was ready for the opportunity. And, you know, I was ready. I was ready, ready. And when they gave me the chance, I tried to do my best. But, but you know, it you know, can, be, can be frustrated, like you said. can be frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. Throughout your career, you were a speed guy, a lot of stolen bases, um, did not hit a home run in your five seasons, but stole a lot of bases, played around the infield a little bit. When you think back to your playing career, what are some of the moments that really stick out for you? What would you say was was your biggest highlight? It's hmm, a tough one. Well, one day I stole four bases in one single game, and, and I stole home. So I stole second, third, and home in the same play. <laughs> and I told the manager, say, you know what? Because I saw the catcher, he's saying his knees and throwing the ball like that. I said, okay, okay, if you do that again, I gotta go. He did. I went home and I was safe. You know, <laughs> I remember that day. It was fun. Absolutely, stealing home is one of those uh, those those rare thrills, and not a lot of people get to experience. But when you do it once, it sticks with you forever. Right? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. You go through your playing career, you played five seasons total in the minor leagues. Um, after the 2002 season, you, you got up to high A, uh, but that was your final year as a player. What did you do immediately after you were done playing? Because that's something a lot of people tr- struggle with. You know, their playing career is over. What do I do next? And, and that's true at any age, but 
you were still in your early 20s. Uh, you were 21 years old, not your final season there, and, and all of a sudden your playing career is done. How did you kind of handle that, and, and what did you do? Hey, let me tell you, man, I, I was kind of ready because I did my best. I worked hard to get what I to get there, so no regrets. So when Dick Scott was a farm director at the time, he came into his office, explained to me, hey, man, you didn't make the eight ball club, so we have to let you go. But he, he gave me the, the opportunity to, to stay at the hotel for an extra week. And that's not common, you know. As soon as you get released, he sent you home. So he he told me that, and then he told me, you know what? And if you ever want to work in baseball, just give me a call. So they treat me first class, first class. So, you know, I I, I did call Hilario Soriano, the guy who saw me, like two months later. You know, Hilario called Tony, and they gave me the opportunity, Tony Arias, and they, they gave me the opportunity to be a part-time. So I did that for until December because I found an opportunity in Costa Rica to go college and play baseball. So I took it. I went to Costa Rica for a year, studying accounting for a year, played baseball, you know, came back to Santo Domingo, you know, and then find a job with the Yankees. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that part-time. A lot of people don't go back to college after their playing career, but I have to ask, as a former professional then playing college baseball in Costa Rica, were you the best player on the field? How was that? <laughs> I was just okay. I was one of the players, but, you know, I was ready for, to study. We played during the weekends, you know, baseball was done for me. I played good, still a couple bases, a couple singles, but, you know, I was more focused on study. And let me tell you, like, I was – my last study was five years before – and, you know, if you compare Dominican education versus Costa Rican education level, it's way higher. So my first college experience in Costa Rica was tough. So I had to study a lot. I mean, it was, but it was good. It was good. It was tough. It was a good challenge. Yeah, jumping back into the academic mindset after so many years away, it's, it's very, very different than, like you said, you know, when you're a professional baseball player, it's eat, sleep, and breathe baseball almost, you know, 24 hours a day. It's, it's a whole different world. It is. It is. You mentioned you went to study accounting, which obviously you know, was a very secure career and, and fairly lucrative. Uh, but you came back, you decided to go into scouting, which you know can have a lot of uh, ups and downs, and, and you know, especially at the beginning, doesn't always pay very well. You know, what was that decision like for you, whether to go be be an accountant versus jump back into baseball as a scout? How difficult of a decision was that? Well, it's like when you love baseball, you wanna you wanna stay around the game. So I still studying when I came back. I changed university, but I found a job in the office with the Yankees. So I was an assistant, right? So I did well there, and six months later, they promoted me as a scout. So when I start looking at players and see what it likes, man, I love it. And let me tell you, man, the first player I recommend to sign, make it to the big leagues. First one. Who was that? Jimmy Paredes. Yeah. I remember Jimmy Paredes. Yeah. I, I mean, in terms of, you know, that first job with the Yankees and, you know, becoming a full-time scout, what about scouting? You mentioned you just loved it. What about scouting just jumped out at you and kind of grabbed you? Well, like the competition. You know, go out there, compete, try to win, try to get the best player, identify the talent first, you know, 
that's it's all about for me. Yeah, like I said, good start. Your very first player you uh, you recommended, Jimmy Paredes, become a big leaguer. He signed with the Yankees on uh, July second in two thousand six, and again, certainly a, a good way, uh, good good starting foundation for sure. So as you moved more and more into scouting, what were some of the things that you picked up on, and, and especially scouting, you know, internationally is very different than scouting domestically. What were some of the things that you learned very quickly about what it took to be successful in that role? Okay, like for example, pay attention to details. You know, I learned that with the Yankees. I also learned how to write reports and breath lists, follow lists, all that. But with, with Jimmy Paredes, that changed my career because he was so far away, and I was following for for three weeks. And one day he made a play that changed my career. Infield back, running up third base, ground ball to shortstop, one out. I was expecting he throw to first base, right? So he threw out, he threw home, and guy was out by a mile. So I see that. I say, okay, wait, wait, wait a second. In order to do that, you need to anticipate, you need to pay attention, you need to be smart, and that's a big league behavior. So I call the director. Say, you know what? I got this kid explain what happened, and I, I think he's gonna be able to learn, and adjust. And he did. He made it to the building in four years. So that that moment there changed my career. Pay attention to details. We talk so much about the difference between scouting internationally versus domestically because you're signing guys two years earlier in terms of their age, and really in a lot of cases you're doing the scouting even earlier than that. It's They sign at 16, but but you have to kind of project them out when they're 14, 15, which is a very different challenge to try to do it at 17, 18. How long did it take you to kind of get a feel for that? And, and how difficult was that, especially as a young scout early in your career? You know, like health, like that I play, and I saw my dad playing a lot. So, you know, first, first thing is like you see the body and you start from then from there that how you know you project the body and then you see the action how we play the game and for me the bottom line is like okay if i have two three players with similar tools okay which one is going to be able to to use it which one which one is going to be able to learn and adapt and go to the state and go early work go to to english classes you know that's tough so for for latin players you know the intangibles are play a huge huge role so you scouted for the Yankees for a number of years, climbed the ranks there. Uh, what was your next stop after being with the Yankees? Cincinnati. Cincinnati called for promotion. They promoted me as a Dominican supervisor. And and grateful. Cincinnati made me. They gave me the opportunity to lead a department, to to learn, to grow, to sign players. You know, I'm I'm lucky I had a great teachers, Chris Buckley, Tony Arias, you know. It was a great experience, man. And during during my years there, you know, I was able to be to participate in the signing of Jose Siri, for example, for low money, Aricides Aquino, Juan Di Peralta, yeah. you know, uh, Kim, who else? Dauri Moreta. So those guys for less than hundred thousand dollars. So because you know the, the the situation for us there, like we were focused in the big Cubans and we did sign good players, Chapman, Gutierrez, and many others. But Iglesias. you know, Iglesias. So yeah. some players that contribute in our club, but so 
you you cannot sign the Cubans and the big targets in in the in the, in the and the younger guys. Right. So that circumstances shape us to be proactive, you know, to identify talent before we come evidence, you know, to see raw talent and be aggressive. Be aggressive. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make where, like you said, the Reds were really, really active in handing out big bonuses to Cubans in those years, but that left not a lot of money in the budget for the Dominicans, the Venezuelans. What are some of the things you look for when you are looking for guys? Okay, how do we find a guy that we think will be good, but you know, we only have $50,000, $60,000, $75,000. It's one thing to go after the guy who's going to get a million and a half and, and everyone can see it. How do you find the guys who are those low bonus guys? What were some of the traits you looked for that you thought would work out in the end? Well, athletes. Athletes. Like, you know, guys who can adjust. And that's no easy part to identify. But, you know, if you follow a little process, you, you're going to be able to see details. For example, Aristides Aquino. You know, I went to see Elia Hernandez, and Aquino was there. So I saw Aquino from 6'8", good arm, and I, I I asked myself, okay, wait a second. Why this kid is still available? Uh, maybe the bat, there's something problem with the bat. And, and it was. You know, he has a robotic hitting mechanic, but then he started hitting BP. Oh, my God. But I was <laughs> thinking, I was thinking, okay, I mean, 6'8", good body, good arm. So I asked the trainer, hey, can I talk to the kid for a little bit? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I went to the cage with, with Aquino. We talked about landing food, getting on time. I cleaned his mechanic a little bit. And all the credit for Aquino because after that, he went to HBP again, and he hit like 10 balls out, balls out of the ballpark. So okay. So there's an adjustment here. So then in the game, he like a double and home run. Say, so, man, this kid had talent. And he showed me that he has the ability to take instructions. So, so that's important. So, you know, I, the last, the next three weeks I was there and he get to a point, he gets some confidence that he told me, okay, well, I got to hit a double opposite field now during the game. And he did like crazy. So all the credit for Akira, man. He, he showed me early that he has the ability to take instruction and adjust. Yeah, you guys signed Aristides Aquino for $110,000 in January 2011. And, you know, he was kind of a slow bird through the minor leagues. It took him a while. Signed in 2011, got to the big leagues in 2019, eight years later. Uh, but he had a historic start to his big league career, hit 19 homers that season in only 56 games. What was that like for you, you know, seeing a guy that you had identified so early, were on before other people, signed him for a low bonus, and you know, it took a while, but for him to eventually have that that kind of start to his big league career that he had, what was that like for you seeing that? Amazing, amazing. Like, I, you know, as a scout, you stay in touch with the players you recommend and you sign because that's the part, part of your job. So, you know, I suffer when he suffer. <laughs> I <laughs> I cry when he cries. And I also enjoy when he enjoy. So it was a blast, man. Like, watching him doing that, I was crying. Every day, like, with my kids here. It was amazing. Hard to explain. So one of the other low bonus players that you guys signed for the Reds out of the Dominican Republic was Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, De La Cruz signed for $65,000. He was not a top international prospect by any measure. I, I want to go back to the beginning. When was the first time you saw Ellie De La Cruz play? Okay. First of all, Ellie De La Cruz 
signing was like great experience for the whole people that the, the whole group that was involved. You know, like I told you, the previous experience put us in a situation to identify talent, raw talent. So I got I have to give credit to my guys in the Dominican because you don't do that alone. So Emmanuel Cartagena, Gary Peralta, and Carlos Pellerano, they took me to Carlo Batista's Academy. His nickname is Nietzsche. So they put a workout together there. Eli de la Cruz wasn't invited because Eli was too weak. He was in a development program. And but his 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 trainer, Nietzsche, is a very respectful Buscon Isabel, Juan Soto, and, and other, other players. So he approached me and told me, hey man, I got this kid. He is still weak. You know, he but he knows how to play. I had good instincts. I told him, hey, put him in there. So, you know, Ellie ran 6-9, loose action at short stop. But what really caught my attention was his how twitchy he was, you know, so much energy at the play. And you know, he put a ball in play, he couple lineas during the game. So right after that, I call, I call him, say, come on over here, talk to him for 10, 15 minutes. He looked, called my attention, looked smart, you know, respectful. But I still remember the way he, he was looking at me, like so deep, like concentrate. Say, okay, you know. So I called Tony Arias, say, hey Tony, explain what I saw. Hey Tony. Got this kid, they're ready to take 65K. And he told me, Firmalo. That means sign him. So it was one day look. It was one day look. But like I told you, we have like many years as a group of experience, like trying to identify raw talent before other clubs get in and put it off to pay more. Yeah, it's interesting you, you talk about that. It's not just about, oh, what I saw this day. It's all your previous experiences that build up to that, that make, you know, ultimately play a huge part in the decision making. That's correct. That's correct, man. Like like, like I told you, I've been grateful because with the Reds, you know, I was able to learn how to take advantage of opportunities, you know, and and in, I'm, I'm being lucky and thankful, you know, and I appreciate it. So Ellie signed, you know, July 2nd, 2018. How long before that signing was that one day look that you got on him? Was he already 16 or what was he younger when you saw him? No, he was 16, 16. Okay. We talk about, there's so many guys who, you know, especially internationally now they're, they're getting scouted. And, and in some cases there's verbal agreements at, at 14, even 13 in some cases, in a lot of ways he, he was a late bloomer. I mean, you talk about, he was still pretty weak by at that point. You were just kind of going off the raw athleticism. Exactly. He was raw. He, he wasn't ready to participate in workouts because he was so skinny. But the way he played, his actions, you know, like say, there's an opportunity here. You know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you take that shot on him. You know, sixty-five thousand dollars again. It, it's is it accurate to say it's kind of you're taking a, a, a shot because if it doesn't work out, it's not like it's a huge, you know, a huge loss either. Was was it kind of taking a flyer in a way? Okay, so we have uh, a two DSL teams in, in the Dominican. So yeah. that opened the doors to sign players, right. right? And like I told you about Jimmy, about Aquino, about CD. So, so you see those players and then you see these kids. And man, these kids remind me of the other guys that I signed. 
So, so there's an opportunity. Let's let's do it. Let's be aggressive. Because hey, I'm telling you, if Nietzsche let him, you know, get stronger and he will get more money than that. Yeah. Absolutely. You mentioned having that second DSL team open the door to have the opportunity. You guys signed him July 2018. Comes out, makes his pro debut the next year in, in July 2019. And he actually does pretty well. He went out, hit 285, got on base. There wasn't a ton of power yet. He only had one home run in 43 games. Not a great slugging percentage. But you saw some of that ability to, again, make contact. What were some of the impressions after that first year? Did you feel like he was moving on the right track? Did you see some some of the progress you thought would happen? Well, his ability to adjust at the play. It's not that common for a young kid. He 285 in DSL. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. That, that's pretty good. Because you know, they the pitchers that throw a lot of balls, so you need to be focused. And and he and he did. He, you know, he adjusts. He was so confident at the play. Unbelievable. Like he knew he's gonna be a good hitter. He knew. And then he work ethic, you know, like after the season. You know, the pandemic came and he he went home and he started lifting and working out. He was worried. He was worried to be caught. So he said, you know what? Let's do it. Let me let me be ready. Yeah. And coming out of the pandemic, 2021 makes a stateside debut in the Arizona Complex League. And that was when it was like, whoa, who is this guy? Came out in the ACL, was one of the top players out there. Moved to uh, low A Daytona after only 11 games, performed well there. It seemed like that was really when it was like, whoa, who is this kid and what do the Reds have here? At that point, what was it like for you seeing, okay, people are starting to notice and also see, you mentioned the strength gains he made and, and what kind of player he was starting to transform into. Okay, so when he started playing in 2021, I said, okay, this kid is for real because I didn't I didn't know that he's going to become a power hitter. I, when I sign him, I make a report. I project him. I project him as a regular player, everyday regular player, but no power player. So you know, like I start watching him hitting bombs, and then I learn. You know what? That twitch that I saw translate to power, and say, okay, this is this is this is for real. This is for real. Yeah, it's actually it's a good point you bring up your initial projection when you wrote him up, you know, kind of everyday regular player. What what did you think the type of player he would be was? You know, high average, a lot of steals, low power? Exactly. I think he's going to be a shortstop. I'm going to play there. I'm going to hit for average and steal a lot of aces. So you start to see that power again, comes out in a stateside debut, goes up to, to Daytona, hits for power there, which is not easy, the Florida State League. And then 2020 comes up. Starts the year in high Dayton and goes absolutely off. Hits over 300, 20 homers, only 73 games. Moves up to double A, hits eight more bombs. A 28 home run season as a 20-year-old getting up to double A. All of a sudden, that's when you start to see everything really blossom. The power, the speed, the tools. And this is when Ellie De La Cruz really put himself on the map in a lot of ways. It's not just an intriguing prospect, but a potentially special player. How much were you tracking him for back home in the Dominican and, and – what were you seeing in terms of the strides he made and, and what, what it was like for you, that huge, huge breakout year in 2022? Well, like like I told you before, like when you sign a player, you, you follow him everywhere they go. And what I noticed about Ellie was his ability to to take walks, you know, to see the ball well, you know, 
extrovert hitter. And then all of a sudden he become a power hitter and he make his teammates plays better. So such a good leader on the field. So everybody who talk about him and love him, the coaches, the players. So, wow. Like, so this kid look like he's going to be special. But let me tell you, let me tell you, Kyle, like scouting, you know, scouting him doesn't complete the job. Player development deserves credit, you know. And I, I must give credit to Joel Novoa, who was by the time the director of Latin America Development, coordinator in the Dominican. He he has a special gift. So he's, he's the one to, who go with the Latinos everywhere. So he has a special gift to, to teach young players. So, you know, and then the guy who runs the academy there, Juan Peralta, he he's the one who, you know, made sure that they eat well and they got the education. It's, it's, a, it's a team. It's a teamwork. It's a debate. Absolutely. It's a teamwork. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Ellie came into this year considered a consensus top 10 prospect in all of baseball, the Reds' number one prospect. And one of the big things with him was you saw these tools blossom. You mentioned from a young age, you saw the ability to, you know, steal bases, the athleticism, the twitch. We saw him grow into power. I want to go back to what you mentioned about his ability to make adjustments at the plate pretty rapidly. And that was something you saw even in the DSL. He struck out a little a little much, you know, early in his career, just a young kid facing upper level pitching. There were some strikeout totals that that were concerning. But what we saw him do this year at AAA in particular was he kept cutting the strikeout, right? He kept getting better. He kept lowering it. And I even go back to when you talked about the very first time you met him and just that ability to to learn and take instruction and everything seemed to be there. You know, what was it like for you watching him make those adjustments? Because, again, this is baseball. Adjustments are everything. So many guys have big tools and, and can't quite put it together because they can't make those adjustments. Um, seeing Ellie cut the strikeout rate was kind of the final piece of the puzzle for him. What did you kind of make from afar of, of watching him make that progress? Well, like – like I told you before, like players like him, when you see a young guy, you project him and then you become a player, you keep that player as a role model. So, like, for example, the way he was looking at me when I interviewed him, that deep look, you know, that the way he was paying attention, that translates to focus at the play. Even though he's always attacking, he always go to hit, but he has this ability to you know, to calm down the game. And, and and I saw that. And now I say, you know what? This kid showed that ability when he was 16 to stay focused, to pay attention, you know, to to want to be there, to work hard. So I don't know, man. It's been it's been a bless. And hopefully he he continues doing what he's doing. And, and you know, he stayed there for a long time. Absolutely. So... Ellie got his first big league call up earlier this month, made his debut on June 6th. Uh, first game gets his first major league hit, a double that was 112 miles an hour off the bat. I have to ask, did you watch the game and see his first big league hit? Of course. I was scared. I was nervous. I was watching the game and two strikes. I said, oh, my God. And then he hit a bullet. So okay, that's him. Here we go. I, I jail in the, in the house. You know, it was fun. I was, I was with my wife and a couple of friends. We, I enjoy like him. I, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, how fulfilling is it for you? Again, it's always fulfilling when any of the players you sign reach the big leagues, but especially him, you know, a, a raw, weak kid off a one-day look. 
and he not only gets the big leagues, but is you know considered the future face of the franchise now, just with all the growth and strides he's made. What what is that like for you, dude? Like I don't know how to explain that. You know, in a humble way, you have to, you know, like oh man, we, you know, you were I was there, and God gave me the the ability to to be aggressive, and I credit all my guys that that were there, and I'm thankful, man. Like enjoying the. the you know, his career, and I don't know, man. He's, I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to explain. Sorry, man. I, I don't know. This is it's too, too emotional for me. Yeah, understandable. I have to ask, they were playing the Dodgers, who are your employers now. Was there was there split loyalties there? <laughs> Next. Dude, like, I was okay, man. Sorry, guys. You know, I want him to hit, but I want them to lose. So I want Ellie to hit, and I want Rex to lose. So it was that battle in my mind <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah the next day la goes out hits his first big league homer uh 458 feet i mean just absolutely annihilated the ball and you know one of the things that stood out to him now is it stands out about him now as you watch him it's it's 380 grade tools i mean the speed the arm the power i mean really the only other player in baseball you could say has 380s is, is shohei otani you know him power speed and arm I mean, obviously, I'm not going to ask if you put 380s on a kid off a one-day look when he was 16 because no one would do that. Uh, but just the fact that that's what his tools have become, I mean, how much does that just blow your mind? <laughs> well, like I told you, man, like it's a learning experience because now that I remember how he looked like when we signed him and the tools he presented at the time and how that become to an impact player, we can say that now. I mean, okay, so... Next time I see something similar, I'm going to pay more attention. I'm going to be close because, you know, it's, it's, it's not that common to see a guy, you know, so skinny, you know, be, you know, become that impact power hitter. So, but twitchy, twitchness. I think that's, that's, that's the main word for me now. Like, twitchy guys, they, that can translate to power. I have to ask, what was the biggest tool grade you put on LA in your initial report? Like he tool like 55. Yeah. 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 No, it just goes to show again, you know, young guys, athletes with, with good makeup, they, they can, they can exceed expectations pretty quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I do have to ask, you know, you talk about all the success you had signing all those players for the Reds and then Ellie obviously being a big one. Uh, the Dodgers who, you know, in a lot of ways are considered kind of the forefront of player development and, and scouting uh, and really have a, a really, really fantastic tradition of, of being successful internationally with their signings. They hired you on in 2021. You're now their Latin American cross checker. Obviously, the, the success you had as a scout led you to that position. But when you think back to, you know, signing Ellie in particular and how impactful that has been, how has that affected your career? Well, that's a good question, I think. Is, it will affect my career in a good way. But, you know, you need to find the next guy. Eli de la Cruz was five years ago, good and happy and excited, but, you know, you need to find the next guy. And that's what I'm trying to do here, you know, trying to go out, find the next best, best player around. And on these guys here, man, this is outstanding organization, man. Yeah. They pay attention to details. They got everything, all this, the system you need, all the tools you need to work. I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, I, I feel I feel better professional now. So I'm very grateful and, and so excited having fun here. But like I told you, Ellie de la Cruz, great. I feel I feel great, but it's done. I, I need 
I'm trying to look the next one. I do want to go back to one thing. There was one other person who identified Ellie as a potential star, even before you. You shared this story with me off air. Uh, tell us about that, but the one other person who was on Ellie before you. That's funny because I was talking with Ellie the other day, and he told me that he went to Cooperstown, New York, when he was 10 years old to play a Little League tournament. He did really well, and the home play umpire asked him to sign up a baseball. So I, I want to say to that Super Scout, if he's still around, man, that kid is Ellie De La Cruz. So congratulations, man. You, you're a good scout. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, all right, Richard, thank you so, so much for joining us today, uh, sharing your journey through baseball, both as a player and as a scout. And uh, congratulations on all your success and, and all of Ellie's success as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Once again, that was former Reds Dominican scouting coordinator and current Dodgers Latin America cross-checker Richard Jimenez. Uh, definitely some really cool stories there about not just signing Ellie De La Cruz, but all of the experiences before that that allowed Richard and the Reds staff to be able to identify some of the traits of, of a late bloomer or a hidden gem. Obviously, the Reds organization is reaping the rewards of that now as De La Cruz emerges as one of the most exciting players in baseball and the potential face of their franchise. This has been another edition of Behind the Plate with Kyle Glazer. Go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Richard Jimenez, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.